Oh, thank you. Well, thank you so much. It's great to be back at Grace Chapel. It's been a while, but you know, I was thinking that you learn things as you get older. And one thing I've learned is that in finances, we're taught that indebtedness is not a good thing, right? Indebtedness is a draining thing. But in relationships, indebtedness is a good thing. It's an energizing thing. And, and I'm a man who's greatly indebted. And I'm indebted to this church and to a lot of you for your hearts for the Lord, for your hearts for City Mission. And so I just want you to know that, that we're indebted to you, we're grateful for you, and we look forward to serving the Lord together in the days ahead. Our scripture reading this morning is going to be from the Gospel of Luke. I'm going to read chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. And then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all day, night, and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Lord, we thank you for your precious word. Help us to, to read it, to study it, to teach it, to share it. But above all, help us to live it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So again, I want to start by thanking Josh for his kind invitation, and it's such a joy to be out here. But I, I want to start with a story. A lot of you um, know Anthony, who works at City Mission. I think he was out here a couple weeks ago. By the way, he believes he's a member of this church, so whether you've granted that to him or not, he's counting it. Um, but um, Anthony works at City Mission. He's a graduate of one of our programs. And at City Mission, we run a program called the Downtown Ambassadors. That's where we go out and we run a hospitality service for Proctor's Theater, something that Chris Silipino helped me start many years ago. And it's just been a wonderful program. So I try to go out once a month and put the red coat on and go out with our graduates and be an ambassador. So in December, I went out for Melodies of Christmas. And it was below zero. Uh, with the wind chill. It was a brutally cold night, so because I'm older now, they give me the easiest spot. They put me right in the front door, because I got the marquee covering me, and I wasn't really in the wind, but Anthony's not going to work back with me. He's out on the street, and Anthony's job was to stand on State Street, and as cars were coming up, mostly elderly people who were coming to the show, and Anthony would help them out of the car, get their walker straight, then he would escort them into the theater. So I'm like, wow, what a great guy, because it takes a long time to be out there. And it was windy and cold, and all of a sudden, he's out there doing this, a bus from the Kingsway community pulls up. <laughs> right? That's a retirement home. And I go, Anthony, 
there's a whole bus of them. And he goes, it don't get no better than this. And he ran to that door and he helped everybody down and he escorted them in. Now, that struck me so much because he could have been complaining about the circumstances. He could have said, isn't it enough? I'm out here helping people. Does a whole bus have to come? But his view was just the opposite because he's a man on a mission. And he understood if my job is to be out here and help the elderly, I should be even more excited if a whole bus arrives. Right? It's the power of mission. Now, in Scripture, there is a theme that when people have an encounter with God, it often results in them receiving a mission. Right? Most encounters with God lead to God saying, now that you've met me, I want you to do this. We see in Exodus 3, Moses meets God in the burning bush, and God says, so now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people out of Egypt. Isaiah in chapter 6 is brought into God's throne in heaven. And he says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. And he said, Go and tell this people. In Paul's conversion, the conversion of Saul in Acts chapter 9, in verse 15 we read, But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And of course, in our scripture reading, Peter, in encountering Christ, is given a mission. You're no longer going to fish for fish. I will make you a fisher of men and of women. So if we have encountered God, if we know Christ as our Lord and Savior, we have been given a mission. You know what that is, but I think even more than knowing what it is, the question I have is, how do we do that? I mean, how do we really live out our mission in our daily lives amidst all the things that we are trying to deal with just to get through life, just to pay the bills, to, to raise the kids, to fulfill the job, all these things. How do we also make sure that we're doing in a way that fulfills our mission? And that's what I want to talk about this morning. It begins, like most things, with getting the right perspective. I'm going to share a concept that's been really life-changing for me. It comes from a Swiss theologian of the 20th century with a really cool name. His name is Hans Urs von Balthasar. Well, you've got to be smart if that's your name. Okay? Hans Urs von Balthasar, and he, he taught that every one of us as a follower of Christ has to decide whether I am going to live the theodrama or the ego drama. What it means is every one of our lives is a drama. There is a drama, like a play or a movie going on, and we decide what it's going to be. Now, the ego drama, which is the more common, says, it's my story. So I'm the director. I'm the writer. And of course, I'm the star. The theodrama, by contrast, says, it's God's story. He's the writer. He's the director. He's the star. I have been invited to play a role, and I want to play that role well. Perhaps most beautifully evidenced by Mary, 
when Gabriel tells her that she will give birth to the Messiah, right? As Gabriel tells her, the life you thought you were living will never happen. God's going to turn it upside down, right? If Mary had an ego drama going on, Gabriel tells her that's not God's plan. And what is Mary's beautiful response? Let it be done to me. According to thy word, I am the servant of the Lord. You see what she's saying? She's saying it's God's story. He's the writer. He's the director. If that's the part he wants me to play, then let it be. I will play it. And I will play it well. Now there's great freedom and power in this. Rather than rising and falling with circumstances, and the first sign, if we're living the ego drama, is we rise and fall with circumstances. When things go well, we're up. When things are adverse, we're down. In the theodrama, circumstances are means, not ends in themselves. My job is to not choose my circumstances, but to use circumstances to carry out my mission to play my part, right? This is what allows Paul in Philippians to say this. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Why can he say that? Because he's saying I'm not living the ego drama, I'm living it for God, so if God gives me hunger, then I will live hunger. And if he gives me plenty, then I will live plenty. And either way, I can do all things in any circumstances because God has strengthened me and I am playing his role. We know following Jesus is not a guarantee of good and favorable circumstances. It's really a guarantee of one thing. God's presence in our lives. In the theodrama, that's enough. Right? You can be serving the Lord, doing what the Lord wants. We're not spared difficulties. I'll share a small one with you. At City Mission, obviously, we rely on, on funding. And one of the great funding sources we've had for years is what's called the GE Matching Gift. It's a wonderful thing where when GE employees or GE retirees make a gift to the mission, GE doubles it. I mean, it's been incredible, right? Well, last week, GE announced they will no longer do that for retirees, right? So that's going to cost us right off. That's $100,000 that are gone, okay? But... That's not bad news. There's nothing to fear. God provides. We got to make sure that what we really need to be expressing is gratitude to GE for doing it for so many years. We're a different people. We're not anxious about what God's going to do. We're focused on one thing. Are we doing it in a way that's pleasing to him? I have a sign on my door. It's from the missionary Hudson Taylor. It says, God's work done God's way will never lack God's supply. So our focus has to be not what the funding source is, but are we doing God's work God's way? You see, in the theodrama, life gets remarkably simple. I only have to do one thing. I have to please Jesus. That's it. If I'm pleasing to Jesus, it really doesn't matter what happens in circumstances. If Jesus looks down and says, well done, I'm in good shape. 
But if I'm not pleasing Jesus, even if the whole world is coming to us, even if we're receiving awards, even if we're building buildings and raising tons of money, if he's not pleased, what is it worth? Oh, it's the the joy, the freedom, the power of trying to live the theodrama. So what I want to share here is three characteristics of someone who's living the theodrama. The first one is available. This is my word. Every year I pick a word for the year. The word for this year is available. Those of you who know Anthony, he's got one thing going for him. He guy is available. Right? He just he's available for what God wants to do. We had one of our we had a graduation last month. Some of you were there, and one of the graduates got up and he talked about Anthony really changed his life. And then he said, Anthony, I don't even know what your job is. And no one does. <laughs> I mean, somewhere we got a job description for him just available he waits for God to move and he moves with God and it's powerful you see availability is offering God a blank page rather rather than saying God here's my plan bless it it's saying God what's your plan and and if we can't quite do a blank page if that's too idealistic at least it means that my to-do list has a lot of margin in it That I'm recognizing, God, it's your play, it's your drama, this is what I think should happen, but I'm going to leave room, I'm going to leave margin for you to move and for me to cooperate with it. That doing that is a statement of availability and it's a transforming perspective. I've been blessed with some great role models and, and one of my heroes was a man named Ken Heckler. He was the president of the board when I became the executive director. And Ken was a remarkable man. He was, a, he was an army medic in the Korean War, had a brilliant career with Schenectady International, very successful, was a global businessman. And after, when he retired, of course, he had earned enough money that he could do anything he wanted to, but what he did instead is he went to seminary. At age 76, he got his doctorate in ministries. And he had two ministries. One is he pastored, he would pastor small churches that couldn't afford a pastor because he didn't need a salary. And he was a chaplain at Ellis Hospital. Until he was 90 years old, he spent two nights a week at Ellis on overnights to be a chaplain, right? He was available. That's where God would have him. So I had the privilege, he asked me to do his funeral. He passed away in November, and the funeral was in early December, and so we had a time for people to come up and share, you know, give a testimony, and one woman came up, and to me it was the most beautiful thing of anything I heard. She said, Ken visited my parents when they were old and forgotten. I said, that's the best ministry I ever heard. So simple. No one throws a dinner for you when you do that. No one invites you to speak when that's what you do. But you could sense her heart. Everybody had forgotten them, and he kept on coming. Why? Because he was available. may not have been what he wanted to do, but that's the door God opened for him. availability changes things because we're not feeling all the pressure of I want it to go this way. I, I spoke at a church right, right around the holidays and I was trying to tell some things about the mission. I told about our clothing rooms that we have in, in the various schools and we have a clothing room in Schenectady High School 
And I read this note that one of the Schenectady High School teachers sent us. She said, one of my ninth grade boys utilized the clothing closet. The family struggles with extreme poverty, and he had been wearing the same ill-fitting hand-me-downs for several days in a row. And we were able to find multiple t-shirts and sweatshirts, a couple pair of pants, and a belt in the clothing closet that fit him. This student is quite small for his age, and he was particularly happy that he was able to have a belt that fit him, as he often wears hand-me-down pants that tend to be too large. And the student's mother was very thankful that we were able to assist her son with clothing. And, and the first thought was, oh, good Lord. Is there really a ninth grade boy in my community that's grateful because he gets a belt? Grateful he's get a belt because his pants never fit? But now he's got a belt that fits? So life's a little better? Wow. How many belts are in your closet? But anyways, I told that story, and, and afterwards, a middle-aged couple came up to me, and, and they said, you know, almost two years ago, we lost our teenage daughter, and um, we can't let go of her clothes. But we heard that story, and we believe God's telling us to give you her clothes to share with, with other teenagers. And so they reached out and said, can we come to the mission? And so the dad had the car packed, and he came down, and I met him in the driveway, and he said, thank you so much. This has been a great burden for my wife for a long time. And she has peace now. And I got to tell you, it was the highlight of my Christmas that God could, could use us like that. And we just hugged in that driveway gift what a gift you know we just gotta be available that wasn't on my list of things I wanted to accomplish at the holidays but it was the best part of my holidays you know life interrupts us uh, but when you're living the theodrama it doesn't upend us because we just play a different part for the same director, the same writer, the same star. Ken Heckler called me to have lunch with him several months ago, and he told me he was dying. I tried to make him feel better. Well, you know, Ken, they're doing some great things with medicine now. He said, Mike, the sand is running out of the hourglass. And what he was telling me is God's in control. It's God's story, but I got work to do until he calls me home. Wow. The power of just being available. I've heard it said that the most important ability when serving Christ is availability. I now know that's true. So if it begins with available, the second characteristic is to be aware. Because the more available I am, the more I'm paying attention to what's happening. You see, the ego drama blinds me to what's happening around me because I'm focused on what I want to do, what I need, what I expect, and those expectations can blind me to what God's doing around me. But the more available I come, the more I put aside the ego drama and take up the theodrama, then suddenly I'm paying attention to what's happening around me because I'm saying, what is the director doing right now? 
And am I ready to participate, to play my role? We have a woman that works at the mission. Her name is Mary. She's actually Anthony's wife. And Mary is a tough lady. She's tough. Sometimes too tough. But at our graduation, one of the graduates told the story of coming to the mission for the first time. He didn't want to come to the mission, but he had recently tried to commit suicide and he was sent into the psychiatric center and he spent quite a bit of time there. He said he was so troubled that the paperwork he got from social services was so thick you couldn't staple it. So very depressed and discouraged, he came into the mission at night to check in and Mary was on duty doing intake and he sat down and he started talking. She said to him, Baby, what are you here for? And he began to tell her his story. And she got up. She came around the desk. And she hugged him. And she said, we will take care of you. We have you now. How, how could she have known that what that young guy needed was a mother? Much as he needed a bed. Much as he needed a place to sleep or clothes to wear. He needed a mother. How did she know to do that? Because that's what she was to him in that moment. And got him moving in the right direction. Right? It's awareness. I'm working on this because I'm not naturally aware. I would say I'm more naturally focused. The focus can blind you to what God's doing. So I'm working on this. So the other day I was coming up Hamilton Street, and I wanted to take a quick left in my office, and it was cold, and there was somebody standing in the driveway, and sometimes I think if they don't look at me, then they don't see me, so I said, if I take a real sharp left, Chris, have you ever done that? If I take a real sharp left, then I'm not the guy, so, but his eyes caught mine. I said, all right, let me go talk to him. I said, yes, sir, can I help you? He says, I, I just, I don't have any place to go, and someone told me to come to the mission, and I don't know where to go. So I said, oh, okay, no problem. Just walk down the driveway and look down there. There's a sign that says Welcome Center and just go right through there, take a right, and, um, you know, they'll be there to help you. And I said, as, I'm, as I walk back in, um, and something hits me like, that, that wasn't enough. You know, what? that wasn't being aware. That wasn't being available. So I went back and said, sir, would you like me to walk you to the desk? He goes, oh, that would be great. So I walk him to the desk, and I turn him over to someone who's much better than me. The next day, someone said, oh, Mike, that guy you dropped off, did you know he's legally blind? <laughs> he can't see any distance. Wow, yeah. Yeah, i got to be aware. Lord, make me, make me more aware. But, but I'll never be aware if I'm not available. Right? They build on each other. I want to be aware of the opportunities in the midst of opposition. We, we sometimes think that opportunity and opposition are on opposite ends, that they're, they're either or, it's not. I've come to learn that opportunity and opposition actually coexist. And we've got to be aware that just because there's great opposition doesn't mean that God isn't giving us great opportunities and a great um, Verse Paul writing to the Corinthians in chapter 16 says this, and listen to this, he says, but I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work has opened for me and there are many who oppose me. Doesn't that sound contradictory? I mean, if there are many who oppose me, I'm out of here. 
If there's a great door for open work, people must be supporting me. Paul says, no, both are true. There are many who oppose me, but God has opened a door. I now will know what that means because I think that's like running a ministry in New York State. Right? Oh, I get what he's talking about. When your state is almost socialist, so be it, it gets harder and harder to run a Christ-centered ministry. Oh, and yeah, I've been there 30 years. There's way more who oppose me now than did 30 years ago. Oh, but there are way more open doors. The Lord is opening so many doors, so guess what? We're staying. Because God's opening doors. He's opening doors in public schools. He's opening doors in the public square. We just are an ambassador's program this month in Saratoga at Universal Preservation Hall. We're partnering with Shelters of Saratoga. We're going to bring that program to that community as well. God's opening so many doors, but, but we have to be aware because sometimes opposition blinds us. Sometimes adversity causes us to think he's not there. What it just means is you just got to pull that back and see what he's doing. So we have availability and then awareness. And yes, the third one starts with an A too. It is action. The kingdom of heaven has a bias towards action. We are people of action. Let us never forget that. We are people of action. Anybody here ever see the movie Princess Bride? It's a great movie with a lot of good quotes, but one of my favorite quotes is Wesley says to the bad king, we are men of action. Lies do not become us. Hey, folks, we are men and women of action. We serve Jesus Christ. He calls us to do, to be engaged. Now, this is not whether it's prayer or action. You see, prayer and action are not, we often want to put them in different compartments, but they are fundamentally synergistic. You see, when I pray, I'm compelled to act because when I'm praying, I'm seeking God. He reveals what I should do, and the more I act, the more I need prayer. So in a beautiful way, it replenishes itself, prayer and action together. This wonderful kingdom synergy that keeps us energized no matter what we're going through. So I'm going to, as I bring this to close, I want to tell you one more about my hero, Ken, in the last three months of his life. He was scheduled for major surgery on Tuesday. He knew it was very risky for him, so that Sunday he prepared and preached his last sermon at his church, and he had surgery on Tuesday. It didn't go well. He was spent a couple weeks in the ICU. He then had to be moved to a rehabilitation center a nursing home. And in that nursing home, he performed his grandson's wedding because he was supposed to do it in January, but the family knew he probably wouldn't be there in January. So his grandson and granddaughter-in-law-to-be came to the nursing home and had their wedding there. And he performed the wedding. Then he did a christening for his great-granddaughter. And each one, his body was shaking severely but he did it. And a couple days before he died, his wife called me and said, you probably should come over now and see Ken. He was back home at this point. So I went to see him. I'm pretty certain to be the last time I saw him. So he was able to talk and we had a conversation. And I said goodbye. And as I turned to say goodbye, I heard a voice 
And I leaned back and it was Ken. And guess what? He was praying for me. He was giving me a benediction. He was asking God to bless me. And he was dying. I got to tell you, that's the greatest sermon I've ever heard. And then he was acting in his last hours. Asking God to bless me. And to keep his hand on me. So we need to be available. We need to embrace the theodrama. We need to be available. We need to be aware. And we need to act. That's the thrill of this theodrama. H.R. Macy, the Christian writer, says this. And please hear this. The spiritual world cannot be made suburban. It is always frontier. And if we would live in it, we must accept and even recognize that it remains untamed. Let's pray. Lord, let us embrace the fact that you are the director, you are the writer, you are the star of the drama, and how amazingly blessed we are that you invite us to play a part. Help us to be men and women, yes, with our dreams, with our hopes, with our aspirations, but always, always, always focus on what you want us to do. Like Paul, when you send us good times, help us to be grateful and rejoice. And when you send us hard times, help us to be grateful and persevere. But in each, whether good or bad, whether up or down, whether happy or sad, help us to play our part in a way that pleases you, in a way that honors you, in a way that glorifies you. We love you. We trust you. We give our lives to you in Jesus' name. Amen.